When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So today I want to take some time today to talk about the 2019 Interim Silver Report. So this is a report uh, this year done by Metals Focus, which is uh, not generally where we uh, get these reports from. Um, Of course, this is one that was originally, or at least where I found it, was over on the Silver Institute, which is the same organization that's responsible for publishing the yearly uh, World Silver Survey, which is is published on a yearly basis, has been for many, many years now, and really serves as a wealth of knowledge. Uh, If you ever want to know more about the physical silver market, where the demand is coming from, where the supply is coming from, in an easy-to-understand manner, I would highly suggest go and Google uh, World Silver Survey, 2019 World Silver Survey, and of course you can look at past years as well. And uh, every six months, you know, the six months in between when this one is usually published, which is in May, uh, so usually in November, they also publish an interim report, which is what I want to talk about today. Again, this is done by Metals Focus, which is uh, generally not the, the group that works on the World Silver Survey, or at least hasn't been in the past. Usually that's a combination of, uh, I know Thomson Reuters in there, is in there, I think Refinitiv, um, and then a whole bunch of other uh, mines and maybe some other um, media companies that really look at this data and, and boil it down for the investor. This one's done by Metals Focus, and, and, and I think it is important to make that distinction, as, as I'll talk about a little bit later on in, in today's uh, episode. But I want to, first of all, focus on what I think is the most important information, maybe one of the most important information, because there's a really couple of important key points here, but one of the most important parts of this report, and that deals with mining production of silver, which I think, to nobody's surprise has declined once again in 2019. That's actually about four or five years in a row now that silver has declined in in terms of mining production. It peaked in 2015, which very well well could end up being peak silver, and since then has declined in 2016, 2017, 2018, and now, according to this estimate, which of course is... um, the, the 2019 not, is not over yet. This estimate currently has it, it declining as well in uh, 2019, which is interesting. Generally, actually, these interim reports have been a little bit notorious for always projecting uh, or over-projecting the amount of silver that's actually going to be mined each year, uh, basically forecasting a surplus in silver, and then usually it, it doesn't turn out that way. Uh, the fact that this one's actually forecasting a, a decline in silver production yet again uh, could show that it's going to decline even more. Um, this year, production is expected to decline about 0.7 percent, about to to about 850, a little under 850 million ounces. Now, of course, a lot of this is subject to change. They don't have some of the more recent data as well as most of the data from like the fourth quarter of this year, um, which which could be crucial to in deciding whether or not it's actually going to 
uh, decline or not this year. Uh, you have a lot of mines that are currently closed for a variety of um, ecological or, or sort of local political issues. Uh, we also have news this week. Actually, I, I read this over in Kit Coswell's SRS Rocco report talking about uh, the El Cubo mine, uh, which is a, a mine operated by Endeavor Silver. It's been open for 165 years. <laughs> that's that's before the U.S.'s uh, Civil War, uh, 1854, if you go back 165 years, is actually being closed here, um, presumably probably for good. And, and the, the reason being is that they're basically out of silver reserves. It's just not economic to mine at that mine anymore after 165 years. And that was actually a mine that produced something like two over 2 million ounces on a yearly basis, uh, 2 million ounces in 2018 at least. So even that will weigh on, on the total amount of silver that's going to be produced uh, this year worldwide. Now, that's not the only important piece here. Um, the other part of it is also just that, that when you account for scrap supply coming onto the market, which is projected to be only a slight increase this year, uh, what you end up with is a overall decline in production of about 5 million ounces, according to Metals Focus. Now, where it gets interesting, because I know what some of you guys are going to ask is, well, what about demand? Now, what Metals Focus has is that despite an increase in demand this year, due to an increase in physical investment in jewelry and silverware, primarily, an increase of about 10 million ounces, and a, a decline in supply of about 5 million ounces, silver is still projected to be in a surplus this year. Now, I said at the beginning this important that, that this metals focus, and I realize I, I should add, for those of you that are new to the silver stacking, silver community, this is all what I would consider very important information. It also seems like I might be like totally nerding out here, right? Uh, which I'm fine with, but I understand some of you may not find this interesting, but bear with me. Uh, I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers, a lot of terms or, or names out there at you, uh, but, but bear with me and, and I'll try and condense this all for you. But basically what I'm saying here is that Metals Focus is basically saying that there's still going to be a surplus in silver despite the fact that uh, demand increased, supply decreased in 2019, or at least that's their estimate. Now, the problem with that is that their surplus and deficit numbers, which are basically derived by, by subtracting demand from, from the total amount of supply coming onto the market each year, do not align with, uh, with the World Silver Survey's numbers, which last year at least had the silver market in a deficit. Metals focus did not, and so there's there's going to be some disagreement with this. All um, we're, we're talking in, in the realm of tens of millions of ounces, um, tens to twenties of millions of ounces, where where these uh, disagree. So, for example, they had a surplus of something like eighty million ounces that Metals Focus has in the silver market in 2017. Um, this year, it's it's a little bit less than 20 million ounces. Uh, but th that's still pretty significant, and and I, I tend to doubt it. Um, I tend to go with the numbers that I'm familiar with, the ones that are, um, I believe, to be a little bit more accurate from the World Silver Survey and, and some of the various firms that they uh, they employ to, to, to come up with those numbers. Um, so what I would say as a takeaway from this is that there was a deficit last year in silver and that according to these estimates, there's likely to be an even greater deficit this year in the physical silver market. 
With that being said, what's really interesting about this is that despite this, you still see the above ground stores of silver continue to rise. Um, the LBMA, for example, up until a little while earlier this year, actually, was steadily rising the amount of silver that they had on hand. The COMEX as well continues to rise. Now, I get it. I'm as doubtful as you are uh, about the, the legitimacy of those statistics. I, I think that when it comes to the LBMA or the COMEX, a lot of that silver is is not accounted for, especially the LBMA. I think it's it's um, I'm I'm doubtful that it's actually just held by by one owner, just by the exchange. Uh, I think it's more likely that it's um, how shall we put it, rehypothecated. Um, since since a lot of these are basically paper markets. Uh, in the case of the COMEX, I mean the COMEX is is um, allegedly around 300 million ounces that are are on the exchange. Um, that very well could be the case, but of course the amount of silver that exchanges hands on a daily or weekly basis is in the hundreds or thousands of millions of ounces. So even if that number is accurate, it still doesn't correspond to the actual amount of paper silver uh, changing hands on, on, a, on a daily or weekly basis. So, so the point of what I'm saying here is that um, despite that, the, the fact that there is a, a growing deficit in the physical silver market, that, that more is being consumed than is being produced, um, some of these various uh, above-ground stores, whether uh, it's things like SLV or other exchange-traded products or the COMEX or the LBMA, they continue to increase their holdings, at least allegedly. Um, another, I think, really vital piece of information in this report was the overall change in the what's called the all-in sustaining costs for primary silver mines. Uh, basically, this is the, the cost to, to bring an ounce of silver out of the ground. Now, mining companies, for, for various reasons, um, sometimes can be notorious for, for manipulating these numbers. Uh, it, it's not hard to, to reason why they would want to manipulate them. For example, if you're a silver mine and and your actual all-in sustained cost is $14 an ounce, which is slightly under market value, um, but you want to... to uh, make your, your company look very profitable or make your mine look very profitable. You could say your all-in sustained cost is 13 or 12 or $10 an ounce. It might not be true, but it makes it look more profitable. Now, this all-in sustained cost, though, as a whole in 2019, uh, in the first half of 2019 versus the first half of 2018, has risen significantly year over year, 32%. Um, up to $10.85 an ounce. That's the average cost, basically, at primary silver mines. We're ignoring secondary silver mines, uh, the, the, the byproduct mines such as lead mines, zinc, copper, uh, gold mines. Um, and we're focusing on, on those that primarily uh, silver is their primary um, product. 32% uh, rise in the cost to bring an ounce of silver out of the ground. Now, according to Metals Focus, the reason for this is uh, partly due to higher uh, costs, basically. Wages, electricity, fuel, grinding media, sodium cyanide, along with lower byproduct credits due to lower base metal product uh, prices. So basically, you have some of these mines that, yes, are primary silver mines, but they also mine byproducts, and, and the value of those byproducts basically 
it's a bonus, right? So for every ounce of silver they bring out of the ground, maybe it costs them 15 bucks. But in addition to that, they might bring a couple pounds of copper out of the ground or something like that. And that offsets the overall cost of, of, of bringing the silver out of the ground. Um, so again, the average is 10.85 an ounce. I want to reiterate, reiterate, as I have many times in the past, that does not mean that that's what the price of silver should be. Uh, a good analogy that I use is the oil market. The oil market is is a uh, very uh, diverse in, in terms of of where oil is coming from and how it's being produced, ranging from offshore drilling platforms to shale oil to uh, uh, Canadian oil sands, to kind of the traditional, um, some of the more traditional uh, drilling methods used primarily by, by countries or by regions that still have high amounts of oil reserves in certain areas. And there's also different uh, qualities of, of crude oil. For example, uh, Venezuela, oftentimes touted as having the largest oil reserves in the world, also have some very poor quality oil when it's all uh, said and done. Um, the, the, uh, the, the sulfur content of oil is important as well as the, uh, the viscosity and whatnot. In fact, a lot of the, the Venezuelan oil has to be mixed with, with, uh, with a lighter, uh, oil before it's ultimately shipped out. Right. And so all of that matters. And so that means that in different areas, oil costs a different amount to produce, right? And if you look at the all-in sustained cost for oil, it would probably be well below the current market price, which I don't know what it is right now, probably in the $40 or $50 range, okay? Maybe around $30. It doesn't mean that the price of oil should be at $30. So for example, if you looked at the average for for um, the, all-ins, the all-in sustaining cost for, for silver, uh, let's say that's 1085, that means that a fair bit of silver being produced is being produced at a price higher than 1085 an ounce. And if the price is 1085 an ounce, let's say the actual price moved down to the average all-in sustaining costs, what happens is all of a sudden all of the silver that's being mined above that price is suddenly uh, not economic anymore and they no longer produce. Just like, let's say, the price of oil dropped to $20 a gallon or $20 a barrel. Uh, Saudi Arabia and maybe Iran and some other Gulf states and certain other areas around the world where it's it's fairly profitable to, to mine oil at a, a very low price, they would still be pumping out the oil. Shale oil in places like Texas would probably not. Uh, they'd be losing money at that point because it might cost $30, $40, $50, $60, $70 a barrel to pump the oil out of the ground in those regions, right? Same thing goes for, and, and what would happen when that was the case is all of a sudden uh, the, the the amount of supply coming to the market would plummet and the price would go back up again. Same thing goes for silver, right? Um, but that is important uh, to, to understand that the overall all-in sustaining cost for these mines continues to increase, right? Up to up 32% year over year, Right? And I talked earlier about silver mines being on the decline in the case of the El Cubo mine in Mexico. Um, and, and after 165 years, that it was finally being shut down. That's That's been the trend for a while now. 
And with these chronically low prices, even with the recent price jump that we've had in 20, uh, 2019 from the $15 range to the you know $17 range, it still is not economical, economical, economically sound uh, practice for a lot of these companies to go out and, and start up new mines or explore for new mines or, or new deposits. They do it, right? Um, maybe for some companies they can handle that, especially if they have a lot of capital already or if they can tap into credit markets or if, if they um, are planning on doing a very large operation and they can benefit from, from economy of scale. Uh, but as a whole, the incentive to do so is much, much lower in the price of silver is you know in the teens versus 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars, right? Which again plays into that uh, silver deficit piece that I was talking about. The, the the fact that the silver market, physical silver market, is in a deficit currently. Now, the final thing that I wanted to talk about is two major sources of uh, physical demand in the silver market. There's a lot of focus on things like uh, silver coins, silver bullion, silver jewelry. And then there's that other category, just industrial demand for silver, all sorts of products, electronics, solar panels, houses, etc. Now, I want to talk about two major components of that and, and, and talk about um, what they mean for the silver market going forward. The first one is solar panels. In 2010, a fairly small amount of, of as an index relative to uh, 2020, silver was, or, or solar energy, was only used at about a, a tenth, or maybe a one-fifteenth of what it's currently used at today in terms of the amount of, of solar energy production. Meaning that over time, there's been a, a ton of investment in, in solar panels, solar energy, uh, the world over. And, and obviously, that's been a huge boon for silver. In fact, that's kind of coincided with the digital revolution when it comes to photography, which has been fortunate for the silver market. Because today, uh, silver's not used a whole lot in, in photography because most... Uh, um, most cameras aren't, aren't operated by film. They're digital. They use they use a memory card. They use digital uh, computing and whatnot to digital lenses lenses and whatnot to to take the image. They no longer require the use of silver except to make the the camera itself, which is is substantial, but nowhere near the amount used to to make the film. But what coincided with that is a huge proliferation of solar energy and solar. Uh, panels in general use a fair bit of silver. Now over time, the amount of silver used in these panels has declined actually to uh, about 25% of what it used to be, let's say in 2010, um, to, to install one gigawatts worth of, of, uh, of, of solar power. Uh, it, it used X amount, let's say one ounce of silver. It was a lot more than one ounce, but let's say it's one ounce. Um, today, it takes about a quarter ounce to a quarter ounce of silver for the same amount of, of solar production, just because they've gotten more efficient with it. Uh, thinner coatings of silver on a lot of these solar panels, etc. However, the, the amount of solar being installed on a yearly basis can 
continues to grow pretty quickly. And so we kind of have this interesting situation where where the amount of silver demand from the solar industry is basically evening out. There's a lot of people that predicted it was going to go to the moon, it was going to go to two, three, four hundred million ounces, whatever. I'm just throwing numbers out there. I don't know what the production predictions were, but but very high numbers of demand from from these uh, solar panels uh, because so many countries and so many individuals were investing in solar energy. Well, it turns out that that's not going to be the case. They're, they're still making those investments, but the solar panels have gotten much, much more efficient. They don't need to use as much silver. And so it's sort of evened out the amount of silver that's actually being used in the solar market. However, switching gears to another industry that's increasingly using silver is uh, the the automotive market. And this is something Metals Focus brings up, talking about vehicle production versus silver use in automotive products. So basically, going back to 2010 again, if we're going to index everything at, at an even 100, um, 10, year, 10 years later in, in 2020, uh, it's estimated that car production will have increased by 20 or 30% on a yearly basis, and, and it may not even be that, right? Uh, in short, vehicles just are not, the, the, the automotive market is just not what it used to be, right? People are just not buying as many vehicles as they used to in the past. However, in that same time span, it's estimated the amount of silver use in automobiles will have increased about 100%, basically doubled, which is, which is actually pretty significant. And I think that this is this is something to follow in the future, especially if electrical vehicles catch on. Maybe not in the U.S., but even if they catch on just in, in Europe or just in, in China and India and Japan and some of those other countries, I'm still not sure when, when the U.S. is going to catch on to that trend or if we will. But even if it just occurs there, uh, electrical vehicles use a substantial amount of silver. I mean, it's it's sort of common sense that if, if silver is used frequently in digital uh, and, and electronic products, that a lot of silver would be used in electrical vehicles, more so than uh, in, in internal combustion engine vehicles. And that's certainly the case. In addition to that, even just with uh, internal combustion engine vehicles, you also have um, factors like, like the, the increase in, in use of uh, screens in cars. Right, it's no longer just buttons, and and sort of a uh, you know what what did they use to use for those um, displays um, like a not even LCD display but like a really um, uh, primitive right uh, primitive display to display the time or the frequency of the radio station etc. Right, and just a bunch of buttons. And now these days we have entertainment systems, we have touch screens, we have more and more sensors, we have more and more things like backup cameras, uh, increased uh, um, intelligence of the engine itself. And of course, you know, cars for a long time have used basically computers to, to run all the different components. That's been going on for, for a decade plus. <clears throat> but that has uh, only gotten more complex, and that's also led to an increasing amount of silver use in these cars as well. And I think that's something to, to keep in mind as well as we look into the silver market going forward. And, and again, you know, I want to finish up by saying this. I know this seems a little dense or a little nerdy, like I'm just 
talking and talking about the silver market as if you guys are supposed to care. I don't expect you to care. But I do think, um, my two conclusions would be this. First of all, I do think this stuff is important if you're a silver stacker, if you're bullish on silver over the long term. Even if you're bullish primarily because of, of monetary reasons, which I am, I'm more bullish because of monetary and, and, and economic reasons, financial reasons, than I am uh, bullish because of the supply and demand fundamentals. Um, but even if that's why you're primarily bullish as well, doesn't mean that things, these things don't matter. I think these things will contribute to some real long-term upside to silver. Um, the other piece to this is that... I think a lot of people wonder, you know, what value does my silver have or, or why do I have silver in the first place? Um, is it really just a market that has value because there's a whole bunch of people that are out there buying it? You know, I'm looking at you, cryptocurrencies. Uh, but, but what I'm trying to say here is that that's not the case. Silver is used in nearly every electronic product that we use on a daily basis. It's vital to today's digital world or, or, or internet-based world, the internet of things and vehicles and, and our solar grid, our power grid as a whole. It's, it's vital to uh, warfare. It's vital to communication. It's vital to um, industries and, and uh, 101 other uses that silver is used in. And that's not going to change anytime soon, right? Occasionally you'll have certain uses for silver such as film that way that, that may go the way of, of the dodo bird. But as a whole, the demand for silver is only increasing as the demand for for smart technology and for screens and electronics and electrical vehicles continues to increase. Silver is not going to anywhere anytime soon. Or at least uh, the demand for silver isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And because of that, I'm I'm more confident now than ever that that the price of, of silver is going to be going somewhere uh, pretty fast here, and that's going to be to the upside. I think these these physical supply and demand fundamentals are strong. They take a long time to play out. Make no mistake, the paper market is what controls the market these days. But it doesn't mean that these supply and demand fundamentals don't matter. They do. And they provide some real long-term floor for silver as well as a good long-term upside in addition to all of the other topics that I discussed day in and day out about silver and gold regarding today's financial system, uh, the global debt bubble, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I hope this has been informational to you. I hope that you found this educational. As always, I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast and God bless.